0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Compass Church. In this July 4th, 2021 message, Pastor Craig Kidder breaks into the New Testament in our continuing series, What is the Bible? In this message, entitled Jesus and His Kingdom, Pastor Craig explains how Jesus is the climax of all the biblical narrative and how he comes to bring the kingdom of God and to change the world forever. For more information, head to CompassEFC.com. Well, good morning, friends. You can have a seat. My name is Craig and I didn't go to business school, but I read business books every once in a while, all right? And uh, I'm gleaning some information from all my reading, and I uh, just have a question for you this morning. What does it mean to be successful, right? What does it mean to be like a leader in our field? What, is, what does it mean to, to, to achieve success? How do you achieve success and then maintain success? What, what is success, and what does it look like? Well, again, Didn't go to business school, but I've read a few books. Here's three things that I'm gleaning, that three components, three things we need to be successful, all right? And they may sound weird at first. I just need you to hang on with me to the end, all right? So they may sound counterintuitive, but these are kind of common traits you see among successful people. And I think if we wanna be successful, we need to kind of try to emulate and model these, okay? You're tracking? Trait number one, weakness is bad. Hang on. I know I said it sounded counterintuitive, but think about it, all right? How many of you have been in job interviews where they, it's a totally normal and good question, where they say, hey, can you tell us your strengths and your weaknesses? You've been in some of the same job interviews I have. Now, here's here's what happens, right? What happens in that moment when they're like, strengths, I can do that. Weaknesses, ooh. It kind of becomes like a little mental gymnastics, right? Like, you got to say a weakness that like doesn't sound like you're completely oblivious. Like, I just care too much. That's my weakness, right? But you got to give them something that also is a little bit honest but not too weak. Why? Because we kind of know in our bones, oh, if I want to get the job, if I want to be successful, weakness is a, an obstacle. It's a hurdle. So weakness is bad we got to kind of figure out ways to get around weakness. Uh, Two Harvard Business School authors, uh, Robert Keegan and Lisa Lesko-Lahee, they talked about that we all have a second full-time job that no one pays us any money for. So we all have a second full-time, 40 hours a week job that no one pays us any money to do and we run around doing it for free. It's called Covering Up and Hiding Our Weaknesses. All right. So if you're on the job and you messed up, uh, no, 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 no. This is what we're. You know, you got to you got to spend a lot of time covering up. You're competent. You know what's up. Even here, stay at home parent, right? Like, you know, we may like blog like rough day, found a shoe in the freezer, but we don't like that, right? We got to cover up our weaknesses. We got it together. Weakness is bad. So if we want to be successful, thing number one, weakness is bad. Number two, second trait. For successful people, so if we want to achieve success and maintain, right? Anybody can achieve success, how do we maintain success over the long run? We've got to always win arguments. And if you can't be right, be confident. All right? How do we be successful? You've got to admit, weakness is bad. All right We've got to get over that. and then we've got to win arguments, all right? And if we can't be right, Be confident. That's actually something my wife says about me. She says he's always confident, sometimes correct. All right. So that's what it is, right? You just got to have that posture, right? You know, look. Here's the thing. Here's what it means about leadership, right? Leaders always have to make decisions. Things are coming at them, and we don't always have all the data. All right. But who? What does a successful leader look like? Hey, I'm confident. Even in the midst of not having all this data, I'm someone that's trustworthy. I don't have any weaknesses here. I'm confident, in this is the way we should go. And if it turns out that wasn't the way we should go, I'm confident about the next way. All right? Weakness is bad. Let's leave that in a rearview mirror, and let's win arguments by being confident. And it doesn't really matter if you're right all the time. And again, Harvard Business School emulates this. Uh, They have classes where 50%. 5-0, Five zero. Half your grade is based on classroom participation. Alright, what does that mean? It means jump on in there. You don't even if you don't know, it doesn't matter. Just just get in there and lead people. Be confident. Alright? So successful people, we don't like weakness. We admit that. Oh, let's get past weakness. Thing number two, we win all the time. Win arguments by being confident. And thing number three, avoid at all costs, no matter what. Avoid suffering, all right? Now, a little bit of suffering is like drama, right? You know, Steve Jobs, he started in a garage, all right? But he didn't stay in the garage, all right? It's about results, okay? I don't make the rules, all right? You can't be successful without results. So if you're suffering, if you're running into brick wall after brick wall, if things aren't working out for you, you're on the wrong path, all right? Get off that path. Weakness is bad, we gotta be confident, all right, And if we're running into suffering, let's get off that path. Now, uh, I like to think I have a moderate ability to read a room. How are we doing? Some of you saw it up front. Like, I know what he's doing. He's being ironic. I get it. This isn't that clever, Craig. But some of you were like, wait a second. What? Why? Because we are disciples of someone who died for his enemies. Someone who embraced weakness, who didn't beat people down by being confident, and who when his path, the way, was met with suffering, he embraced it. And so I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. We've been going through a series called What is the Bible? where We've been backing up and we're looking at the whole story of Scripture, and today... It all comes together. We believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus, and we're finally at the point in the story that's all about the point of the story. Everything that's taken place up until this point has been setting the stage for the one the Neo, did you know, this is totally not in my notes, but did you know that Neo and like the Matrix is really just the book of Isaiah retooled, like we're living in this hazy, fa- the hazy world, we don't really have experience reality, and then Neo or the One comes and takes us to a new world? You're welcome for that, all right? <laughs> but that's exactly what we experience. And because it's familiar, it can become cliche. But here's the reality, the world was one way, And then Jesus of Nazareth came, and it was a totally different way. Thanks be to God. God. And he invites us into his way of being in the world, and it's called the kingdom of God. And here's the wild part about the kingdom of God. It is no safe place. The kingdom of God is dangerous. It's not comfortable. We may be exposed to things that we don't like. Hardship. Why? Because the person who brought the kingdom of God brought it through a cross. We love comfort. I love comfort. Like my happy place is being outside with a book. Kids are napping. Like it's just relaxed and quiet. We love comfort. And the invitation that Jesus invites followers into, into this kingdom, says, come with me. You may encounter things you don't like, but at the end, you will get what you need. We find life in the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. Israel was charged with reversing the curse. And what Luke brought us up to last week, that they, they, they strayed off course. And the prophets came and said, come back. Come back. Be with God. Reverse the curse. And they couldn't. And so now Jesus steps in where Israel failed. And he carries it across the goal line. And how does he do that? Through a cross. We would love to have the kingdom without the cross. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Wonderful. But the kingdom comes by way of the cross. And for those of us who follow, we're like, uh, w- w- is, uh, I have some questions. And the invitation, as we are, we're going to be in Mark's gospel, the invitation is to, is to surrender and submit because when on the other side of surrendering, on the other side of submitting, we find life. Life. On the other side of a cross is resurrection, new life. All things are made new. Or as J.R.R. Tolkien says, in the ultimate end of the story, all sad things become unsad. We get to experience that because Jesus said yes to his Father, he trusted. And as soon as he trusted, it was just rainbows and butterflies and clarity and easy. People just high-fiving him as he walked around Jerusalem. It was great. And that's where we're going today. You know that's not true. It was weakness. It was opposition. And it was ultimately suffering. A suffering that led him to die. And we're like, can I just get the, the comfortable part of that? Like, can I get the kingdom without the cross? Like, can I, I want to be reconciled to God. But what, the stuff in between. And what Jesus is saying is the kingdom isn't safe, but it's good. It's so, so good. You're going to get an adventure. That's the promise. You'll get an adventure. It's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. And on the other side of that adventure is resurrection life the desires of our heart. And it doesn't look like what we signed up for. God shows us things like, what? What's happening? And on the end of it, we get what we need. So, in our story that we're about to read, Mark, who is, I believe, uh, he writes the very first biography about this person, Jesus. Uh, I believe that Mark was the first one to say, hey, let's Compile Jesus' story and tell his story so that we can learn from it and we can follow him with everything we have. And so Mark starts this story. Remember, we talked about the prophets, who the prophets showed up, and they're like, hey, Israel, turn, reverse the curse, be the, be the, be the blessing to the world that you're supposed to be. And they're like, no, thank you. And what happens at the end of the story? They go into exile, and God is quiet for four hundo years. All right? Four hundo he is silent for 400 years. Today's Independence Day. 400 years ago, there's no America. I think the pilgrims were just getting here, right? Is that right? I'm from New England. I should know. <laughs> Plymouth Rock is also overrated. It's like this big now, all right? Again, you're welcome. That was also not in my notes. 400 years, God was silent. And then what happens? One last prophet comes John the Baptist. And he says, I'm going to prepare the way for the strong one. That's what he calls Jesus. One who's coming after me who's stronger than me. I'm preparing the way for the strong one to come. Imagine this. You're in exile. Rome, not so nice. All right, you've been handed over to the Gentiles. Rome's a bad boss. They pillage. They tax. You know, they're not known for their, like, warm, friendly customer service. All right? You're like, can we get this over with? And the strong one comes. And how does he push back evil? A cross. Let's be really gracious with these folks who were scratching their heads a little bit. That's not the way you and I expect things to go. We try to push back power with power. And Jesus comes and he pushes back power by letting that power destroy him. And the other side of that, we find and experience new life. And we need to know, how do we do that? Well, it's all about the story of his baptism. Sets us on a trajectory that we're going to look through the whole book of Mark today. We're going to see, okay, where's this going? How do we follow Jesus? Is this really good news? If if Jesus comes announcing good news, uh, this just sounds hard. What in the world's happening here? We're going to learn what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow. And we're we're ultimately just trying to ask the question, What's keeping us from saying yes to Jesus? What's keeping us from saying yes to Jesus? Is it we love comfort? Is it our money? Is it relationships? Is it our politics? What is it that's keeping us from surrender and submitting and finding life on the other side? So, Mark chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read that, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to do a survey of the whole book. Just like what we've been doing is we've been trying to back up and see the big picture of the Bible, today we're going to back up and see the big picture of Mark's gospel, okay? So, we're going to read verses 1 through 15, and if you would, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. The beginning. Now, just a side note, because not, I am not this—I have nowhere else to say this, so I'll just say it now. Uh, Mark is not saying, uh, hey, start here. Start reading here. If you don't know where to start reading, this is the beginning. Hello, beginning. He's rooting this in the story of Israel. In the beginning. That's how the book opens. That's how his book opens, right? The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for Yahweh, make straight paths for him. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Interesting. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I. The Straps of whose sandals, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. He was tempted in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by the Satan He was with the wild animals, and angels were attending to him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. God, help us. God, we pray your spirit, just like your spirit came and rested on Jesus and anointed him for this kingdom ministry, I pray your spirit would come and open our eyes that we would see what's holding us back from saying yes to Jesus. Whether we've been following for years, whether this is our first encounter, God, I pray that you would help us to see what it means to say yes to Jesus and embrace this adventure in the kingdom of God. As these things in his powerful name. Amen. Alright. Well, we know, we know that what it means to be successful is not hiding from our weaknesses, always being right, or getting away from suffering. But we really don't know that. So we may intellectually understand it, but yet when suffering comes, we all run away really fast. That was part of the reason why 2020 was kind of a difficult year, right? Because we were like, oh yeah, we, we, you know, suffering, the problem with this generation is they don't suffer enough. You know, my generation had it so tough. And then when suffering comes, it was like a great equalizer. We we're all like, wow, this is hard. Make it stop. I don't want this to happen anymore. Like we all talk mean game about suffering, but I don't like suffering. You don't like uh, that. Newsflash, that's why it's called suffering. Okay, if we liked it, it would not be suffering, all right? Suffering is hard. And yet right out of the gate, Jesus sets up the kingdom of God. He sets up his ministry by saying, there will be suffering in this kingdom. I'll go first. That is the life-giving hinge that this whole door turns on. He says, there is suffering in this kingdom, but you can trust me, I'll go first. Baptism. There's lots of questions about baptism, and we're going to save those for another time. All right? But fundamentally, what baptism is, is it is an outward expression of an inward reality, Jesus is saying, I surrender and trust God. That's how he starts his public ministry, as an act of trust. You may remember uh, when we started, you may not, I don't remember what I say last week or the week before. uh, Someone was talking to me once and they said this thing and I was like, that's super good. Where would you hear that? And they said, you said that to me. And I was like, oh, Okay, at least I know I believe it. I mean, I I don't remember, so I don't expect you to remember. But remember when we were in Genesis, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Deep is water, okay? There's water, right? Why? Water is chaos. Creation hasn't occurred yet. There's chaos. Jesus, by being baptized, is going into the chaos. He's going into the chaos. Darkness as an act of trust. He's saying, God, I trust you. I wholly submit and surrender wherever that takes me. And it takes him underwater. Now, he comes out of the water to say, hey, the kingdom is not like suffering. Hey, suffering's great. We're all just signing up to suffer. Woohoo! No, saying there's life on the other side of submitting and surrendering. And what happens? What happens as soon as Jesus comes up out of the water? It's really important that we see this. Look with me at Mark 1. Sorry, Let's just look at verse 9. Listen to this. I want you to listen really carefully because I'm going to flip to the end of Mark so you can see what the whole book is about. There's these these techniques that like, it's in movies and it's all over the place, but bookends, right? If like a, a movie starts in one location and then it ends in that same location, it's like, wow, this is very significant, Right? I can't think off the top of my head a movie that does that. Maybe like, what's that movie with Matthew McConaughey? Interstellar, right? It's about the daughter's bedroom, remember? It's an awful movie. But anyway, th- that's, how, that's how we see like, storytelling, right? If you start somewhere and you end somewhere, the whole story is about that, okay? Sorry, Christopher Nolan fans. I didn't mean, it's as awful. I, I don't apologize. Uh, one, listen to this. Chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Got it. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw, this is really important, heaven being torn open. Okay, just remember that. File it away. And the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came. Okay, so thing number one we got to remember, heaven's being torn open. Thing number two we're going to remember now, there's a voice. And thing number three, what does that voice say? You are my son. So these three things happen at Jesus' baptism. He's kicking off his ministry, heaven's torn open, We hear a voice, and then he's declared to be the Son of God. Now, I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 15 about his crucifixion. We're going to start in verse 37. All right, listen again. With a loud cry, oh, so it's out of order, but there's a voice. A voice shouts out, just like in chapter 1. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. More stuff being torn in two. All right? And then the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died and said, Surely this man is the Son of God. All right? What's happening here? W- heaven is the place where who lives? Okay, sorry. I, I am a little concerned about my hearing, and now I'm really concerned about my hearing. I'm wondering if I need to see an ear doctor. Heaven is the place where who lives? It's not a trick question. You can be confident, okay? Heaven is the place where God lives. Yes, yes, yes. Great. We're not trying to trick you. This is church, all right? The temple in the Old Testament is the place where who lives? Again, not a trick question. God. Okay, so God's home is being torn open. A voice cries out, and Jesus is declared to be the Son of God. Here's what Mark is doing by the bookends. Remember Interstellar? He's saying the whole story. You need to see all of Jesus' kingdom ministry in light of the cross, Right out of the gate. Jesus had 30 years preparing for his ministry. And he comes out, of, he comes out into public ministry and he gets anointed. He gets, he gets dunked, ready to start his ministry. And what happens? He's on the way, headed for the cross. Right out of the gate. The kingdom cannot come without the cross. How do we know that? Keep reading. What happens in Mark chapter 1? As soon as he comes up out of the water, the spirit sends him where? Where? The wilderness. Okay, now, remember, we've been going through the Bible. There was another group of people who crossed the Jordan and went into the wilderness. And how long was Jesus in the wilderness for? 40, 40 days. days, okay? So there's another group of people who crossed the Jordan, went into the wilderness, and were there 40 years. Who was that? Israel. Jesus is picking up the story of Israel and saying, I'm going to take this across the goal line. I don't even really like football, so all you non-sports people, just, I'm, I'm with you. So he picks up the story of Israel and he says, I'll show you how it's meant to be done. I'll show you a new way of being in the world. And who does he meet in the wilderness? The Satan, all right? And what does this Satan figure offer him? Mark doesn't tell us, but we know from the other Gospels, he says, hey, just skip that whole cross thing, worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Kingdom without cross. Here's what Jesus is saying. The, king, the kingdom, the curse will be beat back and it will be beat back by a stronger one. But it's not going to be reversed through power, through might. It's going to be reversed by surrendering and trusting God's plan to reverse the curse. And what Jesus is showing us as he heads into the wilderness and does what Israel could never do, he says, God is good. I am trustworthy. I'll Go first. It's safe to trust God. It's not comfortable. It's going to take you places where you're like, where are we going? But what's Jesus illustrating for us? The just shall live by faith. Surrender. That's what it's all about out of the get-go. How do we live in God's kingdom? Trust. Surrender. We trust you, God. Why do we do that? Because we're disciples of one who did that first. And his doing that bought us life. Look, part of the challenge of being a Christian in today's cultural climate is that we're also surfing in waves we didn't create, right? All right, so how many of you have, in, you know, you work really hard at your office. You know, you do March Madness brackets, you're like really, you know, you invite people over, you know, 4th of July with friends, you're setting off illegal fireworks in your backyard, you know, you're a really great coworker, and then they find, hey, what what were you guys doing this morning? I was in church, and then you just feel the air go right out of the room, oh. Hmm, I thought we were friends, right? We, it's tough to be a Christian, it's tough to follow Jesus, because it, it in, in today's climate, that means embracing being misunderstood. I also totally get that, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and nothing kills conversation at a party. Like, hey, what do you do? You know, I'm asking, what do you do? Well, you know, I work at VU, my job is so cool, we like putt-putt all day, we don't actually do any loans, and then, you know, it's all really cool, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, I got a, I got a thing. I gotta go, right? Yesterday I was at a wedding, this is a true story. I was at a wedding and at this wedding there were tons of like seminary students, it was in St. Louis. And um, I saw this guy afterwards and he was just like standing there all by himself. And I go up to him I'm like, man, a lot of seminary students here, huh? You don't go to seminary, do you? And he goes, no, oh my gosh, no. Do you? Mm -mm. (laughs) Which is true. He asked, do I go to seminary? I do not, right? We know that to follow Jesus today means to be met with and looked at with suspicion. Do we trust him enough to follow him on that way? Listen listen further as the gospel keeps going on. Mark keeps telling Jesus' story in chapter 3. Listen to this. So Jesus is announcing that the kingdom of God has come near. So after he comes out of the wilderness, he says, hey, I got good news. The kingdom has come near. And again... That's like old English. When we think near, we think this is what's happening right now. Like, I'm coming near to you guys. Like, you're like, oh man, put away Sports Center. Like, look alive. The kingdom is coming near, right? That's not what the gospel writers mean when they say that the kingdom has come near. It means it's here. God's kingdom is here among us now. That's wonderful news. That's exciting. That's fantastic. It's not close. It's here. Why is it here? Because Jesus came up out of the water. And he surrendered, and he trusted, and he brought us the kingdom. Well, now it's going to be super easy, right? It's going to be great. Just rainbows and butterflies. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 21. When his family heard about this, uh uh-oh, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, Bible nerds, people who know God's word, Came down from Jerusalem and said, he's, "He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. All right. So Jesus, trust God. Sorry, I always try to do a New England accent. I'm not trying. to. My wife is always actually like, do a New England accent. Goes, you're New, you know. Sorry if you're. I love the South. All right, you know. Not trying to make fun of the Southern. It's just the easiest one to do. Sorry. All right. So. Jesus follows God. He trusts him. He steps out in faith into the kingdom. And what happens? His own family is like, this dude's nuts. And the religious leaders are like, bad news bears. Wicked bad news bears, all right? It's the best I can do, sorry. Was it easy for Jesus to trust God and to step out in faith? Look, we flatten the characters of Scripture like We think like David. Oh, David just said, you know, there's a giant. I got some rocks. Woo, that was easy. Trust God. Nailed it. If we flatten the, the Old Testament characters, we, we flatten Jesus. Jesus was fully God, is. Jesus is fully God and fully, man, totally human. He has to use his agents. If he's, he's being tempted by the Satan, and if it's not a real temptation, it's not temptation. Jesus was fully human. The author of Hebrews says he knows how to identify with our weakness. It was hard for him to trust the Father. Yes, he had the spirit. Yes, he was led around, but he still had the weakness of being human. No sin, but the frailty of being human. He had to make real decisions and really use his agency. And his loved ones turned their backs on him. The religious community of which he was a part of said, "Uh, wrong team, bro. That's hard. When we follow Jesus and we step out and it's looked at with suspicion, right? What's God doing? I don't like this, but look, we sang it even when I don't feel it, you're working. That's very easy to sing. And then when it happens, it's like, oh, did I do something wrong? What are you doing? What are you doing? But do we trust Jesus with our relationships? When our loved ones don't understand us, when they think, all the baggage that all the people who claim the name of Jesus have that have come on before us, are we willing to be misunderstood and to love or do we say, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to, I'm going to be right. And I'm going to let you know I'm right. Maybe not to your face, but definitely on Facebook. And here's the thing. If we, if we don't understand that the kingdom of God is brought about by the stronger one, and that stronger one dies for his enemies, we end up fighting back people who are not enemies. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Do you know what that means? What's flesh and blood? People! But against the spiritual powers. And we can very easily just go against the wrong enemy. Do we trust God with our relationships? Will we carry that posture of Jesus, of surrender, when we're misunderstood? What about our finances? Look, when you trust God, when you live in the kingdom with your finances, more likely than not, you will have fewer finances. Why is that? Because in the kingdom... We are generous. When you're generous, are you giving things away or hoarding things? Like we say all the time, is the point of life to make what you can, can what you make and sit on your can? Not in the kingdom. This posture of surrender, it affects our finances, it affects our relationships, our careers. Do we trust God with our careers? Or will we surrender once the 401k is fully padded? Once we know it's safe? Or, and happy fourth, what about our politics? Are we willing to surrender our politics to Jesus? I've seen a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people leave church because of their politics. I have not seen many people leave their politics because of church. How do we surrender? Can we surrender? What's keeping us back from surrender? Is it comfort? We Look, if you want a comfortable life, that's fine, but you gotta know you're gonna be bored out of your gourd. You know, the only place on planet Earth that is totally tranquil and there's no conflict is a cemetery. If you're alive, there is going to be conflict. Jesus is saying, follow me and we can learn to redeem that conflict. And Jesus can redeem the most irredeemable situations, Psalm 106 listen to this this Psalm 106 Yes all right Psalm 106 uh, bu, 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 bu. Okay here we go verse 26 uh, so, uh, they grumbled. This is verse 25. They grumbled in their tents and they did not obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in their wilderness to make their descendants fall among the nations and scatter them throughout the lands. Here's what's happening. Israel disobeyed God and God's wrath says, I'm going to hand you over to the nations. In the Hebrew Bible, being handed over to the nations means experiencing God's Wrath, that's not good. All right? Listen to Mark chapter 10, what Jesus says he is doing. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says uh, that in verse 33, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to who? The Gentiles. What's he saying? I'm going up to Jerusalem to experience God's wrath. Did he deserve that? No. Is he fighting power with power? Yes. He is taking on our weakness for us. Now, listen to this. This gets bananas, okay? Mark 15, verse 39. And when the centurion... Okay, stop for a second. Uh, what nation state had centurions? Rome. Rome. Were Romans Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles? Gentiles. Very good. Here we go. Ready? When the centurion who stood in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. What's happening? Jesus says, hand me over to the Gentiles and I'll reach them. Hand me over to the Gentiles. The worst thing imaginable that can happen, and I will reach them. I will redeem even this most irredeemable situation. I'll do what Israel never could do. And what Mark's gospel is hinting at right away is on the other side of crucifixion is resurrection, is newness. We can surrender because he went first, and there's life. We got to jump in the pool, and it's scary to jump in the pool. And yes, lots of people have come before us, they've jumped in the pool, and we, we've seen, we, we know, we intellectually understand. Yep, there's life when you follow and trust Jesus, and still we're scared. It's that surrender moment of saying, I trust you, is scary. But we see the testimony Jesus is working and he reverses the curse. He makes everything new and he's saying, you can trust me. I'm good. There's life on the other side of surrender. It, it may be hard. There may be hard things, but he can redeem even those hard things. And the question that's left for us today is what's keeping us from saying yes to Jesus. What's keeping us from saying yes to Jesus? Is it our finances? Are we like, Ugh, I'll, I'll, I'll trust Jesus, but I, I'm going to have maybe Jesus in this hand and my credit card in this hand. Is it relationships? I can make all these things work. I can get everyone to still like me and I'll still follow Jesus. Is it our politics? It's like, uh, I know I should give my ultimate allegiance to Jesus, but my party, I mean, oh, I don't know. I mean, like what, I, I, you know, I can do both. I can do both. What Jesus said in his sermon on the mount is you can't serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. Jesus is asking for our ultimate allegiance, that we trust him and him alone. And that's scary. That's scary. That's hard. It's, it's perfectly fine to say that. It, it's actually probably really healthy to say that. That it, it, Oh yeah, this is easy. I got this. The fact that we're saying it's hard is actually embracing weakness. It's saying, yeah, Jesus, I was trying this my way. You came and did things a different way, and now trusting you is hard. And the prayer is is to just invite him into that space. Meet me where I am. Meet me where I am. You know what's really beautiful about, we, we read earlier in Mark chapter three about how when Jesus is starting his ministry, all of a sudden he's met with all this opposition. Well, you know what happens right before he's met with all that opposition? Mark chapter three, In verse 14, he appointed 12 disciples that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority and drive out demons. They might be with him and do what he did. When Jesus comes up out of the water, who rests on him? The Spirit. Who sends him into the wilderness? The Spirit. We don't surrender. We don't follow alone. Discipleship, living in the kingdom, fundamentally means that we are with Jesus and we do what he did. How can we do that? He's with us. He's the stronger one. And the question this morning is what's keeping us from saying yes to him? And so we're going to pray. And we're going to we're going to actually ask that. We're going to we're going to we're going to try to be honest. You know, what is it that's keeping us from saying yes to Jesus? Is it our love for comfort? Is it is it a relationship that we know, oh, this relationship is not life-giving and it's toxic, I'm afraid to give it up? Is it our reputation? What are my coworkers going to think of me? What's keeping us from saying yes to Jesus? Maybe this is the first time you've been invited to follow Jesus. What, well, what should the next step be? Just like Jesus' first step after trusting and believing, baptism. Maybe what was keeping you from following Jesus, you just didn't know. No one had ever told you. We would love to talk with you. So whether you need to be baptized whether you need someone to pray and say, hey, my heart is just clinging on to things that are keeping me from following Jesus. We want to be with you and do what Jesus did. We want to pray with you and help us as a community be a community who says yes to Jesus. It's scary. It's scary. We don't know what's on the other side of it. there's, there's, There's men and women, but there's just men today. Up here, find one of us. We'd love to pray with you. We love to to just ask God's help in saying yes to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews and the psalmist both say, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Say yes today. Because there may not be another chance. You may just, you know what? I got close. I don't want to do that. I don't want to say yes. If he's talking to you, if he's inviting you to say yes to surrender, whether you've been a Christian for 40 years, 40 minutes, not a Christian yet, we're going to ask God together, God, how do we say yes to you? How do we surrender? And if you need help, we'll be up here after. We'd love to pray that with you. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, we can call you Father because Jesus trusted you because he went first God where Israel had failed where we had failed he didn't God thank you that he brought us the kingdom through the cross God I pray that the things that are keeping us from saying yes to your son we would we would loosen our grip on those and we would trust you God, I pray if there's people in here who need to take that first step of just saying yes to you in faith and then being baptized, God, I pray that they would have the the courage because it's courageous to come talk to us. God, I pray that we would be a community of people who say yes to you. So what's in the way, help us to see it and be with us as we work to say yes. This sermon is part of the ministry of Compass Evangelical Free Church in Columbia, Missouri. We seek to be a church where Christ's love is at work transforming lives through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. For more information, check out compassefc.com.